bold words. Where you lead me, I will follow. I'd love to be able to say that. I'd love to be able to live that way. And I know that as a church family, Renew Bible Church, those watching online, uh, I know that's an attitude that we have as a church. That's why I love this church. Uh, But following Jesus is difficult, isn't it? Following Jesus is very difficult. It is a narrow path, but he's called his children to walk that desert road. And hopefully we can say without reservations, where you lead me, Jesus, I will follow. We're in a series uh, this month in the book, the gospel of Luke. And we've been reading through Luke and Jesus has been presenting some obstacles that might stand in the way of many who are on the fence Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're kind of on that fence and you've been coming out to church and maybe somebody sent you a link online. You've been watching and, and you like this Jesus. You, you, you enjoy his teaching and he seems to be a good teacher and, and offers uh, some, some great wisdom to you. But you're on the fence on whether or not you're ready to jump all in and go all in on following Jesus. Well, I look around this room and I see many who I know are, have gone all in and are reaping the benefits, not just in this life, but will continually in eternal life, but maybe you're one of those who, who you're on the fence this morning. I'd like to speak to you. Um, I'd like to, to speak to you and remind you that there are some things that might hold you back from following Jesus completely. And for those who are followers of Christ and you call yourself a child of God, there are also uh, uh, some things for us this morning where we need to look inside to our heart and say, God, where do I need to kind of cut the chains that are holding me back from completely surrendering to you this morning. Well, last week, Pastor John brought to us Luke chapter nine, foxes have holes. That's what Jesus said. You wanna follow me? Well, that's great. Foxes have holes, but guess what? The son of man has no place to lay his head. There's gonna be things that are required of you to follow me. Are you willing to walk that road? Are you willing to walk that road? path. We said that following me, following God will require self-sacrifice. Are you ready to follow Jesus wherever he calls you, wherever he calls you? Following me, he says, will reorder your priorities. Are you willing? Are you able to say, Jesus, I'm going to put you on top shelf. I'm going to put you as number one in my life. I'm going to allow you to be the the only priority and and to forsake anything else that could get in the way of that. Are you willing and are you ready to follow him now? Because he's calling you now. Third, following Jesus will require that we remove our rights. Are you ready to follow completely? So maybe you're one of those people in the audience and you're interested, right? We have these, Jesus speaking to three audiences, those who reject him, those who are followers of him, and then most of the people there that he's gonna speak to are interested in what he has to offer, what he has to say, the wisdom that he has, the things that he can provide them. Are you willing to remove your rights to completely follow me? Are you ready to follow? So this morning, we're gonna pick up In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, if you have your scriptures with you this morning, we're gonna take a look at what Jesus calls the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle. And we're gonna discover this morning that there are four specific things that he's gonna draw out of three conversations he has. Three conversations in this scene where Jesus is gonna present four things that might keep you that have the potential to keep you from completely following him. If you're on the fence this morning, these are objections you are most likely dealing with right now. And he's gonna call you to put those things aside. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's some things that he's gonna call you to do, little areas of your life that you're holding on to that he's gonna require that you let go of to fully, completely follow him. So as we pick up in Luke 18, Jesus again is trending in popularity. He's training because he can do things like heal people. He's, he's fed thousands of people at a time. Now, imagine with me, imagine with me, you walk out of here and you, you meet someone outside, uh, you know, outside the West Foyer here this morning and people are like, hey, where are we headed to lunch? And this person is like, hey, don't worry about it, I got it. And snap of their fingers, they provide Chick-fil-A on a Sunday for you. I mean, blessed chicken 
for you on a Sunday, which you thought was impossible, right? And they provide, do you imagine, can you imagine there would be a long line of people willing to follow them wherever they go? Jesus is providing things for people. He is so popular that he, he's reaching the peak, the pinnacle of trending. Now, Pastor John shared with us last week, the closest he ever came to trending was being accidentally uh, mistaken for his brother who who's a children's author. And um, you know, in my life, I think about, have I ever been trending? I, not really. The closest I've ever come, actually it wasn't Gabe himself. It wasn't Pastor Gabe. It was a character or persona that I portrayed in our day camp live skits. Now, if you know much about our kids camps, we do these big live shows and we do a different theme every year. This was from, I think, 2018 through 2019, we did a, a, a skit called The Lost Galaxy. It's on YouTube. And I know half of this audience in here, you guys have watched it more than the kids, okay? You can admit it. The adults love the show as much as the kids. But what's great is at the end of the week, all of the characters. So if you look over here, we got, we got Kyle Hand over there. We got Mike Nice. We got Corey Meller, Ryan Warner. All these characters come out at the end of the week and would sit down at a table and sign autographs. And these kids would come up with their player trading cards and they'd get an autograph from, from one of these people. Again, this isn't Gabe, this is Trip Star Chaser that, they're, that they're, they're trending towards, okay? So one of the roles I have in the camp was I take care of all the counselors, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, make sure that all the, the moon bounces at the carnival are taken care of. So I typically don't get out there till, uh, till you know, the last hour of the carnival where all these, all these you know, Things are taking place. So I'm usually the last character that every kid needs to cross off, you know, on their box. So I got all the signatures except for Trip Star Chaser, okay? So when I got out there, there is a swarm of sweaty children just running for me. Mom's like, we can't leave until we get your autograph. You better get over here. So I sit down and I just start signing autographs. And yes, I signed some adults t-shirts too. When they come over, they want an autographs too. And I signed some of these autographs. That's the closest the closest I've ever been to trending. But Jesus, his popularity is through the root because he is providing things for people. Not only does he have the words of God, but he can heal. He can provide food, sustenance. And the Israelite people, they're, they're willing to follow him all around the Sea of Galilee and, and wait, what's next? What's Jesus gonna do next? What's he got? But Jesus, as our text picks up here, is gonna embark on three more conversations. And this time he's gonna describe not just what it means to follow him, but he's gonna describe the requirements of entering his kingdom. The requirements of entering his kingdom. So as we pick up in our passage this morning, I ask that you pray with me. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word this morning. Our heavenly father, I ask that you would guide your word this morning, I, I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be open and uh, available for you to come in, that we would make room for you this morning, God, that wherever it is that we are holding back, that you would challenge us through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room, anyone online who's watching, I pray that if they're holding back, if they're walking that fence, God, and they're, they're unsure, that you would make them sure of who you are. They would come to a saving knowledge that you are the Lord, you are the Holy One of God, that you offer them salvation and they would receive you and you would receive them into your kingdom this morning, God. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus, amen. So as I said, Jesus is trending towards popularity in this part of his earthly ministry and he's about to embark in three conversations. And the first begins with a disruption. You ever been disrupted? You ever been interrupted by a child? All the parents in here, all the grandparents, yes. Mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, right? You ever been interrupted by somebody uh, who maybe like, hey, I got, I got things to do here. I, I've, I'm important, I'm a big deal. I can't really deal with what you have for me right now. Maybe it's somebody at work that you kind of think, eh, they're kind of annoying. I don't want to deal with their requests all the time. And you kind of push them off. Well, Jesus is, is, is being interrupted. His ministry is being interrupted. Verse 15 says, now they were bringing even infants to him, even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. 
So Jesus is doing his ministry and there's this interruption in his day where, where these parents of young children, of infants, most likely are bringing their infants to Jesus. Hey, if we can just get Jesus to touch our child, then, then maybe they'll be able to survive through their first year because infant mortality was so high at that time that they, they just were hoping and praying that, that their child would live through the first year. If we can get Jesus, this magic, magic maker, this person who, who can provide healing and food, if we can get him to bless our child, we have a good chance, right? So they bring them to Jesus and the disciples say, not today. Jesus called them, excuse me, now bringing them, even infants, the disciples saw and they rebuked them. But Jesus, verse 16, called them to himself saying, let the children come to me. I love that. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Here you have the most important person in history being interrupted by mere children. He's got work to do, but he says, bring the children to me. Don't hinder them. You see, Jesus sees children not as a problem to solve, but as people to love. Jesus saw the people who were on the outskirts of society, on the fringe of society, and he didn't see them as problems. He saw them as people with souls who needed him and he had compassion on them. As scripture said, he looked on them like, like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Then Jesus goes on and gives the first requirement of following him to enter into his kingdom. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Time out, Jesus. Receive the kingdom like a child. What are you trying to convey here? What, what exactly does that mean? Because, you know, maybe I'm a little bit past my prime here. Maybe you say I'm in my fourth quarter of life. I'm over the hill. I'm not a child. I can't go back. I don't know how to do that. So how, how am I supposed to enter into God's kingdom? Let's take a look at what a child, a childlike faith can mean for you and I. Let's, let's take a look and see how, maybe, maybe how we can measure up, how we can identify with childlike faith. Maybe for you, uh, trusting God completely is difficult. Trusting God completely is difficult. What do we know about children, especially in their earliest stages, is they trust. That's why we say, hey, don't talk to strangers. Don't go, you know, don't go over there. Don't, don't go to the person who's trying to give you candy because guess what? They trust people they shouldn't. They trust mom, they trust dad, they trust their family members completely. Childlike faith trusts completely. Do you take your father at his word this morning? Are you able to take God at his word? Second, a childlike faith is lowly in position. It's defined by meekness, not ambition. Reminded of the story in Matthew 18, uh, one through five, where the disciples are walking down the road and, and what are the disciples typically doing? They're often talking about who's the greatest, right? Can you imagine yourself, hey, hey, who's the greatest son? Who's the greatest daughter, right? Maybe you do that in your family and you, you have your, your, your arguments, but the disciples are wondering, how do I make sure that I'm at the right and left hand of Jesus in the kingdom? So they're talking about who is the greatest and Jesus overhears them and he says, verse four, whoever humbles himself, like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's part of God's upside down kingdom. Those who are the least are the most. If you want to gain your life, you have to give up your life, right? It's upside down. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, be humble like a child. Examples of this we see in the New Testament. We see the tax collector just in the same chapter, crying out for mercy in the temple, the tax collector, the low life of Jewish society, the traitor, comes to Jesus, humble, crying out in the temple. The blind man sitting in the dust on the road to Jerusalem who cries out, Lord, have mercy. You have Zacchaeus, again, a tax collector, scampering up a tree like a child just so he can get a glimpse of Jesus, humbling himself before Christ. All three, like infants, spurned by others, not seen by the world, but seen by Jesus. And the first, first thing, the first thing as we see that will keep us from following Jesus completely is self-reliance. That's point number one. Self-reliance will keep you from following Jesus. 
an attitude that is not like childlike faith, but says, hey, I got this on my own. I can take care of myself. I don't need somebody uh, to, to, to be dependent on. I got this. That kind of attitude will not enter into the kingdom. Out of this audience, out of this same scene, the same audience comes our next conversation, our next character. And it's a successful young ruler. Verse 18, and the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So here the scene is set and we, we see this wealthy, affluent, influential young man comes before Jesus and says, hey Jesus, I gotta do a little strategic planning here. I got a lot of things taken care of. I got maybe my portfolio pretty, pretty taken care of. And I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, but I know that I need a little bit of assurance here. So he comes before Jesus and says, how do I know that I can inherit eternal life? You see, he begins with flattery. He calls Jesus good. So what does Jesus do? Before he goes and clarifies what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus challenges the pre Assumption that he is good. That word good there is not talking about the fact that Jesus is a good teacher, that he's, he's good at doing something. It's his morality, that he is a good man. So this rich young ruler comes up and he says, Jesus, you are a good man. We're kind of on the same playing field here, right? Yeah, us people who are we're kind of elite, we're above everyone else. We are good people. I Guess what? I got the commandments down. I got it all. Jesus, what do I got to do to kind of check off all those boxes? I got to make sure. I got to get clarity to make sure that I can inherit eternal life. This man is doing nothing more than strategic planning. He's making sure his, his, his eternal retirement is all in place. He wants Jesus to grade his moral accomplishment. He's looking for security. I love Jesus. I love what he does here. He doesn't answer the question. He goes right to, to the, the, the merit of where he's starting from, the heart of this man's request. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus forces him to consider his statement that he just made. You ever had somebody who like questions you on a, on a comment you made, maybe you just said something flippantly and they challenge you on that and maybe it's a you know, statistic or something you said, oh yeah, you hear about that? And they're like, no, that's not actually not true. And you're like, oh, oh, I guess I should fact check first, right? We say things often and we don't necessarily mean them. Well, this man calls Jesus good. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, true goodness requires moral perfection. So he's attempting to lead this man to the logical conclusion of his assumption, calling Jesus good, that, hey, you're calling me good? Well, only God is good. Do you realize who you're talking to? Do you fully understand that by calling me good, you, you are proclaiming that I am God? Jesus does not deny that. He wants to follow him or he, he wants him to, to evaluate his goodness. Jesus says, what is good? Well, Jesus then gives the simple answer to this man's request. He gives them a list, five of the 10 commandments. He says, you know the commandments. He does a little bit of a, a spiritual moral audit on this man's life. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Oh, honor your father and mother. Jesus lists five of the 10 commandments. These specifically are dealing with that, that horizontal relationship we have with other people, how we interact with our neighbors. Jesus is saying, how have you measured up in how you treat other people? How have you measured up in how you treat other people? The question arises, how would I measure up? I think we should all ask the question of how do I measure up against those questions there? Well, maybe you'd say, maybe you would post online and you would say, well, I, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good. I would love and respect everyone. Maybe you're in that boat. You feel, hey, I respect everyone. I love everyone. I'm not perfect, but I do the best I can. Well, I love and respect everyone unless they disagree with my political opinions. I mean, I mean, come on, you, Jesus, you can't, 
truly expect me to love that party. I mean, I mean, let's be honest here. There's only one true way of living life. There's only one true uh, political opinion. There's only one true way to raise your children. There's only one true way to live your life. And anyone outside of my view, <clears throat> I can't love them, God. But you understand that, right? You understand that. Well, maybe you said, I've never stolen anything in my life. I've never stolen. Just don't look too close at my taxes, <laughs> right? Don't look too close. Don't look, don't look with a microscope. Yes, I love people, but maybe I have murder in my heart for those who I disagree with. Maybe I've never stolen, but mm, there's some dishonest things in my life. Maybe you, you're a student and you say, hey, you know, you could call me a saint compared to all my friends, right? You could call me a saint compared to my teammates. And we start to compare ourselves with, hey, if you saw how they live their life, you think I'm a good person. The reality is nobody can pass the test. We fool ourselves to think that we can. Jesus, Jesus does an audit of this man's life, the man who believes he has done everything right. Verse 21, we know this because the man himself says, hey, all these things I've kept from my youth. I'm good, Jesus. I mean, thank you for your, your audit of my morality. I, I was actually expecting it to be a little more difficult. I made sure everything was in order before I came to you and, I, and you just gave me these five. I mean, that's pretty easy. I've done all those things since my youth. I should pass with flying colors. So Jesus, can I inherit eternal life? I check all these boxes. All five, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. I've honored my mother, I've honored my father. Yet deep down inside, this man knows he lacks something. It's why he comes to Jesus. He's looking for security, he's looking for assurance that he will receive eternal life. Let's look at the full 10 commandments. If we put it in perspective, this man, he's crossed off these five right? They all have to deal with others, but guess what? There's other commandments that he lacks. There's other commandments that he has not met. Jesus would reveal exactly what he lacks. He does this, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. There's one thing you still lack. What would that be for you? Jesus says that to this man. One thing you still lack. The reality is Jesus will reveal the one thing that can keep you from following him completely. The one thing that can keep you from being all in on him. He has the ability to reveal that. The spirit can reveal that to us. And he gives this. He gives this one thing to this young ruler and he does that by a command. He says this, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, you rich young ruler, and I want you to, to sell everything you have. I want you to give it and distribute it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So he gives him three commands. Sell everything you got, distribute to the poor, follow me. The most important being follow. Jesus is interpreting the reason why he, he understands this man is not going to follow him. He's saying, you wanna prove to me that you can follow. I want you to go and sell everything you have. I want you to give it away, to distribute that, to love your neighbors. I want you to not covet. I want you to not covet, but instead to love your neighbors, to love your God and come and follow me. Verse 23, but he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich. He failed number one, commandment number one, no other gods before me. His response exposed the one thing he was unwilling to let go of, unwilling to release in order to follow. And he failed the audit that Jesus put before him of having no other gods before him. Jesus exposed this idol in his life. So the question for us this morning, can you see yourself in this rich young ruler? Maybe you're hearing like, hey, well, hey, I'm Gabe, I'm really glad you're preaching this this morning. I mean, there are definitely people in this room who need to hear this. I mean, 
I mean, did you see the car they're driving? I mean, my goodness, there are some people in here who need to hear this. They are wealthy, they are doing well, and God, you gotta, you gotta preach to them this morning. The reality is we're not off the hook. I don't care if you view yourself as wealthy or, or rich. All of us are rich in many things, especially compared to others in this world. And Jesus is calling each of us to find those things that are idols in our life and to hand them over to him. Let's take a look at this rich young ruler and see where we can identify with him. For, for you, maybe it is security. It's comfort. It's the idea that, that you can kind of build up, for something, build up for yourself something where you can place all your hope in that and you can, you can make your life very comfortable and you won't have to really give too much up in, in security and comfort. That is your God. That is your idol. Your desire to control future outcomes, to be able to control your life, to control your finances, to control your relationships. I have a three and a half year old son um, and and. Uh, we love to play video games at home. Uh, and sometimes, well, our kids will jump on Nintendo and play against Pastor John's kids and they'll play Mario Kart and stuff. Well, um, well, there's only, I think, two people at a time allowed per, per device to go online. So I got, I got two spots and I got three kids, okay? And the two older ones are, are more capable on the video game. So they get on, they play their Mario Kart. And, and Maddox, unfortunately, is the odd man out and he wants to play, okay? This happened actually... Yesterday, I was at my parents' house and, and all, the, all the cousins are playing video games and Maddox comes in, he's like, I wanna play, right? Well, there's a problem. All the controllers are taken, right? So what happens is he finds the controller that has no batteries left, okay? And, and I give him this controller and he grabs it and I'm telling you, for 15 minutes, he had the time of his life playing, screaming with joy, laughing. He even chose his character out. He said, that's my character. He didn't know it was his sister playing, right? But he had the time of his life. He was, he was controlling it in his own mind. He literally had a control in his hands. It was dead. He thought he was in control. He had no idea that there was someone else in 100% complete control. Is that not us? We think we can control things. We think we can manipulate. We think we can be passive aggressive with our family and we can maneuver things around so we can get what we want and we can take what we want, but we have no control. Doesn't matter how little you have, how much you have, you have zero control. You might think you're a rich young ruler. You might live like a rich young ruler, but security, comfort, it only comes from God. Maybe for you, it's, it's this idea of being sufficient in yourself. You can make it happen for yourself. Or maybe for you, it's this, this goal, it's this idea of accomplishment. You're like, I don't have a lot of wealth per se, as the world would see it, but I want success. I wanna be seen, I wanna be known. I wanna have influence with others. I want others to look at me and see how many followers I have and how many likes I have. And I want that kind of influence. These desires, they can possess us. The desire to possess status and power, it can be difficult. It can make it difficult for us to follow Jesus. The reality is with this rich young ruler, and maybe for you, Jesus was simply asking too much. So what's too much? What's too much for you? I imagine this man, as a wealthy young ruler, probably had if he would be in 2023, he would have had a nice set of keys, okay? Uh, he probably had paid off five or six of his camels at that time, okay? He had, a, he had plenty of livestock. Maybe he just got a brand new lease on the newest camel that was out, okay? This man had, he had wealth, he had morality. I mean, this guy, I mean, the closest thing I can think of, this guy's like the Tim Tebow of the ancient world, okay? He's good, he's a good dude, He's got it all. He's got looks, he's got, he's got influence. I imagine he had a nice set of keys, right? But the thing about keys is they, they can demonstrate control, right? These keys unlock things, okay? And, and if, Jesus, if Jesus was here today and, and he was in front of a, the rich young rulers in 2023, he might say, hey buddy, I know you wanna follow me. You're gonna have to give me the keys to that car. Whoa, 
Jesus, do you know how long it took me to save up for this car? I mean, this thing is nice. I mean, the rims on that thing, I just got a car wash. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna ask me to give up my car? Actually, I want you to give me all three of your cars. <laughs> how am I gonna get around? <sighs> all right, Jesus, here's my car key. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Maybe he would say, well, okay, thanks for the car key, but um, yeah, see this one here? Oh, Jesus, yeah. That's the key to my, that's the key to my garage. That, or maybe that's the key to the, to the she shed, right? If you got one of those. This is what represents my escape. This is where I go when I don't wanna have to deal with the things of this world, when I don't want to deal with my family, when I need to get away, I got my escape. Jesus, don't take that from me. That's gonna be very difficult. That's gonna be uncomfortable. I'm gonna shed a tear. <sighs> All right, Jesus. And you take it off your keychain and you hand it over. But he's not done. You got more keys. How about that one? Oh, that's the, that's the vacation home and, and you know, I really need that. And, but all right, Jesus, you're really asking a lot here. This better be good. You better make up for this. You better make it worth my while. And he goes for the next one. No, 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 Jesus, this one, that's the key to my office. I mean, business is really good right now. Are you sure you know how to run a small business? I mean, have you ever been a CEO before, Jesus? Are you sure I can trust you with this? I don't know. I, can I be 51% owner still? Okay, well, fine. Here's the key to my business. The key to my safe, Jesus? That's where I keep all my, all my wealth. And if I give that away, I don't know what'll happen. So, so the stock market could crash tomorrow. What am I gonna do? Maybe for you, it's that last key. Jesus, that, you know what that is. That's, that's the key to my house. That's where my family lives. You're not touching that. Anything but my family, God. You can take it all, but don't touch my family. That is off limits. For this man, Jesus was asking for too much. What's too much for you? What are you unwilling to hand over to him? Because the truth is, what you possess has the ability to possess you. The things that you possess it doesn't matter if you view yourself as rich or wealthy. The things that you possess has the ability to possess you, to control you, to consume you. Do your possessions possess you? Well, Jesus, verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, says this statement, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This word wealth here is basically could be translated possessions. Like they had a lot of things, a lot of possessions and basically is referring to something that you need or that you use. So we all have those things. None of us are off the hook here, okay? It doesn't matter if you view yourself as exceedingly rich. He's saying how difficult it is for those who have possessions to enter the kingdom of God. This principle applies to all of us. There's a video I've seen uh, a few times and it, I always get a, uh, I always crack up when I watch this, but um, it's this, it's how to catch a baboon. Okay, so next time you need to catch a baboon and you're wondering how, you can just Google it, okay? It's on YouTube, how to catch a baboon. And this video is pretty old now. It's probably from the 70s or 80s. It's got this British guy narrating over top of it. And um, I think it takes place somewhere in, in Africa and there's a man who's, who's seeking to catch a baboon. And I think he's gonna use the baboon to find water. So he has to first catch the baboon. And how are you gonna do that? Baboons are extremely inquisitive. And I mean, pretty adorable, wouldn't you say? I mean, don't you wanna go? You guys are all gonna head down to the, the pet store today and get yourself a baboon, right? So he's trying to catch this thing and he realizes that they are so intelligent, they're so smart, there's only one way to do it. Have you seen this video? Maybe you know. He goes over to an anthill and what he does is he, he digs a hole in the anthill and he, he, he scoops out a portion inside that is hollow. And what he does is he takes some seeds, some melon seeds, and he puts them, he knows that baboon will not be able to, to stay away from these, these seeds. Then he goes back up on the hill and he just hides behind the tree and watches. And what happens is the baboon, he looks and he's like, I know the guy's still there. So he hangs out for a little while, but eventually what happens is curiosity gets him. He's like, I gotta know what's in there. I gotta get it. So he goes up to the hole and he reaches his hand in and he grabs the seed and he pulls him 
tries to pull it out. But the hole is so small, it's so narrow. Narrow is the way. It's so narrow, he cannot get his fist out while it's clenching the seeds. And he's so stubborn, he will not let go. And the man simply walks up with his rope as this baboon screaming and wailing and jumping all over the place with his arms stuck inside. All he had to do is release his grip to be free. But instead, he finds himself captured He finds himself in dismay, captured because he was unwilling to release his grip on what he wanted to possess. The second point, the second thing that will keep us from following Jesus is holding on. Holding on will hold you back from following Christ. Whatever it is you're holding on to is going to be the thing that holds you back will not allow you, like a, like a dog on a chain who's running full force and all of a sudden, bam, that chain yanks them backwards. Without severing the chain, the dog will not be free. Holding on will hold you back from following Jesus. So what is it for you? Maybe it's a boyfriend. It's a girlfriend. It's, it's financial security. Maybe for you, it's that comfort that you finally reached. Maybe it's your children. If you're a teen in here, maybe it's your reputation. You're unwilling to, to release that reputation and say, I, I'm gonna be okay with people thinking I'm weird for following Jesus. I'm unwilling to do that, God. I will not be rejected by my peers. So you don't follow Christ because of that. Maybe this is the attitude you have. You put on social media, sure, I wanna follow Jesus. But in reality, you say, I wanna follow Jesus, but my, my fiance, it, He's not into, and I can't imagine being alone. There's no way I'm gonna leave him and be alone the rest of my life. And my, my, my idol is a relationship. I don't wanna be alone. I wanna follow Jesus, but if I give my life, he's gonna send me to be a missionary in a third world country. Come on, people. We've all had that thought, right? <laughs> Pastor Gabe has had that temptation. Jesus, if I, if I go in, all in on you, if I throw my stick in the fire at, at camp as a kid, then I know what's gonna happen. Just like Jonah, you're gonna be merciful and you're gonna do the exact thing I don't wanna do. You're gonna send me to Africa or you're gonna send me to a third world country and I'm gonna live in a hut and I, I, I'm gonna hate it. I'm gonna hate my life from then on out because I chose to follow you. Well, here's the truth. If that's your view of God, if your God is a, a God who's gonna lead you to something that you will hate, you have a bad view of who God is. This proverb tells us, he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean that, that God's gonna give you anything you want or if you desire, he will give it to you. It means God is going to rearrange your desires. He's gonna change your heart. He's gonna put in you a burden for something. If God's gonna lead you to a third world country, guess what? He's gonna give you a burden to it. He's gonna, be, you're gonna have you be excited to go. Whatever God leads you to do, he's going to give you a passion to do it. He will put a burden on your heart. Well, I wanna follow Jesus, but maybe you say, but my children are my world. Jesus, you're good with that, right? I'll follow you, but just so you know, I got this one thing, this one stipulation. Don't mess with my family. If you call my kids somewhere else, I will be heartbroken and sad the rest of my life, and I will, I will, I will not follow you. Don't mess with my family, Jesus. Well, I wanna follow Jesus, you might say, but as long as he doesn't ask me to give up the financial security that I've worked so hard for, maybe you identify with one of those. You're holding on and it's holding you back. Well, verse 5, 25, Jesus continues his point. This time he uses a hyperbole. A phrase in literature they would have been used to. They may have heard this before. He says, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, a camel in Palestine was the largest animal that they had, the largest animal that they knew of. And the eye of a needle was the smallest possible opening that they could imagine. He's saying it's easier for a camel to go through that opening than for a rich person, someone with many possessions, to go into the kingdom of God. Well, there's one understanding of this that that is taught sometimes. It's that um, the eye of the needle is actually 
literal. What it's talking about is it was a gate in the wall of Jerusalem, and it was small. It's a very small gate. And a camel, if he came up and took off the bags, the camel taker would take the bags off, and the camel could kind of crouch down on his knobby knees and, and kind of, you know, you know, suck in the hump a little bit and could kind of scoot his way through the eye of the needle gate. Well, here's a few problems with that theory. First off, why not just go through the normal gate, okay? Second, second, it, that's saying that if we can take off some things, if we can let go of a few things, then we can make our way through the gate. We can, we can do it on our own. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Not only that, there's no historical uh, documents that's saying that that gate even existed in the time of Christ. So what is Jesus actually saying here? What is he actually saying here? What does the text actually point to? The point is this, not that it would be difficult, that it would literally be impossible to go through the eye of a needle, literally impossible. Now, if you were in that audience, as I, as I would respond if I was there, uh, you might say this, as, as the people said, verse 26. Those who heard it said, well, then who can, Jesus, who can be saved? We got, the, we got the best guy we know. This guy is moral, he's wealthy, and we know that God, that, that wealth means that you've blessed him. That's what they believed in their time. That you've blessed him, God, and, and he's healthy, and he's wealthy, and, and he's, he's so good. If he can't do it, what chance do we have? Verse 26, what is possible, impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. That is the best verse in this passage because that shows us that we are incapable of receiving Christ. We're incapable of receiving eternal security, but God has made it possible, amen? You see, there's this truth that we need to understand. Good people go to hell. Good people end up in hell. That's the reality of the situation. But broken people end up saved. If you are a good person, you think you can get your way to heaven, if you just work hard enough and you, you take off a couple of those bags and you shimmy through the hole, you can do it on your own. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Ephesians 2.8, for grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Like a child depending on a father, we can receive the kingdom. Well, I love Peter, Simon Peter. He's my, he's my favorite apostle to read about because he's that, he's that one that gives us all hope because he's got like a foot in his mouth all the time. He's saying stuff constantly, right? Yeah, I see some, some heads nodding because we identify with Peter because he's the spokesman. He just sticks up and says what everyone else want, wants to say, but they're afraid to. He says this, see, we've left our homes and followed you. Jesus, like you're talking about impossible things. Well, we've left our homes like these guys, us, we've done it. I love my family, I love my wife. I, I've been sleeping on a rock next to you, Jesus, for years now. I've done all these things. What's in it for us? And Jesus reassures him of the rewards coming. Verse 29, he says to them, his disciples, his true followers, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You've given up security, Peter. Well, guess what? I got eternal security. You've given up wealth. I have eternal wealth that you can't even comprehend. I got that for you. All you gotta do is follow me. You've given up a relationship or two. I am the greatest relationship that you can imagine. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never let you down. I will always be there for you. So what keeps us from following if we have that offer on the table? A third point, the third thing that can keep you from following Jesus 
is not realizing what you will gain. This one hits home for me. Not realizing what you have in your future will keep you from following. If you're someone who is on the fence, you're like, I'm not so sure about this Jesus guy. Well, I got news for you. If you decide not to follow Jesus, this is as good as it ever gets. Enjoy it. You better live it up now because there's a tide coming someday. It'll all be gone. If you have decided to follow Jesus and you've given things up for him, guess what, believers? This is as bad as it'll ever be, amen? We have eternity with Christ. We will be with our savior, our best friend, our creator. There's an illustration I heard that really spoke to me. They used the illustration of a sandcastle. Maybe you spend some time at the beach with your kids at some point. Um, this, I'm in that stage of life right now where you know trips to the beach are a lot of fun. Although what happens is like dad ends up like pulling 50 things behind him onto the beach and getting a workout. You know, you're carrying everybody's stuff out there. Well, what happens is you get out on the sand and the kids are playing and eventually the kids start building some sand castles, right? And um, you know, you're looking at them like, those are cute. I could like build way better castle than that, but I'll let the kids do their thing and, and the kids are playing, right? Well, imagine, imagine the scenario, the children are playing and maybe, maybe they're saying, oh, you know, they got their little kingdom, they got their drawbridge and I'm a princess, you're a prince and you're a king and you're a queen and, and they're playing out this scenario and they're having a great time. They're having so much fun and imagine with me, a real king walks up to them, right? And the king says to them, hey guys, that's awesome what you got there. I mean, I, that's really cool. It just so happens that over that hill over there, you can't see it, but if you go around the bend and you follow me, I have a real castle. I have a real kingdom. I'm a king of a real kingdom. And guess what? I prepared a feast for you. And if you come with me and, and set aside your little sandcastle here, I'm gonna make you a prince. I'm gonna make you a princess, a daughter of the king, and you're gonna come with me and I will give you all that I have. But you gotta leave the sandcastles there. And as a child might say in their limited understanding, sir, thank you. <laughs> it's very kind of you, but um, don't you see? We got a sweet setup here, right here. Like, you see the drawbridge? opens and closes, okay? And, and you know, we, we pour some water in and we got a little toy boat that goes around the moat. I mean, things are good. We got this, Jesus. We got this, King. We're good. It's silly to think that someone would reject a king for sandcastles. The reality is there's a tide coming. And eventually, as you know, if you've been to the beach with your children, if you built a sandcastle, even a sweet castle, what happens? The tide comes and washes it all away. Well, Jesus promises there's a tide coming. He's coming. And it will all be washed away. Everything you've built in this life, everything you're holding on to and you're unwilling to let go of, it's all gonna be washed away. The third or the fourth point, the fourth thing that will keep you, will keep you from following Jesus is, is not realizing who Jesus is. Not realizing who Jesus is. There's a part in the Gospel of John, chapter six, where Jesus similarly has just spoken to his, his would-be followers. And what he's done here is he's, he said, you're gonna have to do these things, you're gonna have to give these things up. And, uh, and what happens is, inevitably, most of the people say, that's too much. Jesus, I'm not giving you all my keys. That's way too costly. And here's what we find in, in John chapter six, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Maybe that's you this morning. You're like, I'm unwilling. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Do you wanna go away as well? And here's our, here's our pal, Simon Peter again. I love this. He answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, there is no plan B. We believe. 
We believe, and he goes on, and here's what he says. He says, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Not realizing who Jesus is will keep you from following. Not realizing who Jesus is will keep you from following. But if you know who he is, if you know he's the Holy One of God, if you know he's the only way, that he is the narrow way, but he is the, the truth, that he is the life, that he is the way to eternal life, then there's no plan B. We can serve him and we can follow him with joy in our hearts because we know we are following the king. So as we close this morning, four things when it comes to being a follower. Number one, followers depend on Jesus for salvation. Like a newborn child, they're completely dependent. Is your trust in your works or is it in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, which we'll be celebrating next week? Followers have a loose grip on possessions. They're willing to let go because they know that is the key to freedom. They know that God is gonna change things in the future. They're gonna receive much more. Are you tempted to love something more than Jesus this morning? Third, followers realize what they will gain. Are you tempted to love something more than Jesus? And last, followers realize who they follow. They understand who Christ is, who Jesus truly is. Have you made Jesus your only option? So as we wrap up this morning, I... I don't want to close without uh, reminding each of us in here. It's the greatest decision you can ever make is to follow Jesus. If you're on the fence, if you're unsure of who this Christ is, I pray that the Holy Spirit would knock on your heart and show you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that through him, you can inherit eternal life and a life of joy and freedom. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the fact that he is our king. Lord, help us to forsake anything that would stand in the way. There are things that are legitimate temptations for us, God. Would you loosen our grip? Would you challenge our heart, God, to, to trust that we have so much more ahead for, of us in our future if we will just rely completely on you, God? Give us a faith like children so that we could walk into your kingdom with all the joy, the security, the eternal wealth that you have promised, God. So thank you again for your son and what he means to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.